listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for tuning in this week. And as you know, last couple of weeks, we have been dealing with this whole issue of anti-intellectualism in the culture and more particularly in the Christian church. What I want to do today is I want to give you eight ways that anti-intellectualism is actually harming the Christian church today. Now, we've talked about, you know, and you've heard from scholars that we have gone and quoted over the past week that anti-intellectualism is dangerous. Oz Guinness, as you you might remember me saying, reading one of his quotes, that he believed that it was a sin, and others have called it laziness on the part, not loving God with our heart and our soul and our mind. And you know, Jesus gives us the great commandment in Matthew 22 and elsewhere in the Gospels as parallel passages where he tells us, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Mark's gospel tells us all your strength, adds that in. And of course, that's your whole soulishness and everything. But he, then he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So, you know, when we deal with the whole idea with anti-intellectualism, you know, if we were to identify that, you know, with the great commandment, it seems that one of the, one aspect of this commandment has been eluded by the, by the, by the Christian church today. And uh, yes, the, the, the church notes a great need for the love of the Lord. And of course, we know that there are cliques and subsets and all, and of course, there's all these uh, kinds of little issues among the sheep. But you know, that doesn't really help the church in any way, shape, or form. And, of course, you know, with the fact that, you know, you hear the, the Barna statistics, which are, are very, very scary, that maybe 15%, maybe 10%, maybe 5% actually hold a biblical worldview. It's a wonder that we don't have things like apologetics and the type of apologetics that it becomes like discipleship in our churches. We don't teach Christian doctrine. Instead, we get Christian doctrine from the radio pl- programs and the radio stations playing music, and we get our uh, and and of course, you know, the the musicians aren't theologically astute. And then also you hear about some of them, the musicians walking away from their faith. Is it any wonder that we're struggling today? Now, the modern church in America also focuses on the love that one must hold for God with one's own soul, that is, one's conscious being or their life. However, the third aspect of loving God with, your, with all your mind seems to have escaped or been disfellowshipped in the American church today. The the Christian also is commanded to love God with his or her mind. Now, ex- 
extreme fideism. Now, what I mean by fideism is actually the belief that the Christian life is only about faith without reason or having uh, a type of faith in faith has led the church into this this condition or this state known as anti-intellectualism. Now, again, just by way of reiteration uh, from the last few weeks, uh, anti-intellectualism is defined as a state of opposing or being hostile to intellectuals or to an intellectual view or approach. That's coming straight from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. In this case, though, the intellectual approach is the intellectual uh, approach to the great commandment, such as this attitude that, you know, when you deal with the great commandment, you know, loving God with all your mind seems to be forgotten, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term. Now, what I want to do today on the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg, what I want to do is I want to present to you eight ways that anti-intellectualism is actually harming the Christian church. And I'm going to deal with the the first one here, and that is anti-intellectualism harms the Christian church theologically. Now, one professor by the name of uh, Daniel Mitchell, and he taught or teaches still at at Liberty University, uh, he said this, the more you study God, the bigger God becomes. And that's true, because I really believe that the more you know about God, the more you love Him. And of course, the deeper you go in that relationship with God, the more you are going to love Him, the more you are going to know about Him. And you know, theology doesn't hurt anybody's psyche. Theology doesn't hurt anybody's brain. And what it does is it reveals and helps you study who God is and reveals who God is. And the more you know about God, the more you love Him. You know, anti-intellectuals fail to examine and research and contemplate, and they, they miss out on the vast nature of God. While the Christian may understand the basic fundamentals of God's omniscience, which is God's own knowingness, or his omnipotence, which is he's all-powerful, uh, one who allows oneself to contemplate and study on these matters will be left in great awe of who God is and who how great he is. You know, we love God with our minds when we study about God. You know, the, it says in the Chronicles, in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 11, search the Lord and for his strength, see his face always. So that's the first one. It hurts the church theologically. Number two, anti-intellectualism harms the church doctrinally. And I want to let you know, doctrine suffers. We're seeing this today with the social justice movements creeping into the church and the anti-intellectualism of that and how all that comes in and, and of course, critical race theory and intersectionality and all of this other stuff. Now, when we talk about doctrine, a lot of churches aren't teaching doctrine today. Again, they're, they're getting their doctrine from the music on the radio, Christian music on the radio. So when I say doctrinally, I'm simply sharing with you how the church views God's interactions 
with us, with, 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 his, with his creation, his, the humanity? How does the church view salvation? You know, of course, you know, some people look at salvation with as fire insurance, and some people look at it as a deep relationship that they've entered to know God more. You know, the old adage that um, uh, God and his knowledge, God desires you and I to know him. God does not want to know us. He already knows us. And I, I could chase that rabbit. That was something I heard uh, not too long ago. <laughs> but the modern church has actually allowed pop culture to dictate these issues of Christian doctrine according to the social fads and the like of people's books. The anti-intellectual will relish in having loads of moving music, will jump with excitement with the last, latest forms of entertainment, but will be left with no basis for examining whether or not such songs or activities fit within the parameters of biblical orthodoxy. Now, when I say orthodoxy, people get a little bit nervous and they say, oh, you're talking about the Orthodox Church. No, I am not. Actually, I'm talking about correct teaching. I'm talking about correct biblical teaching. You know, when you start dealing with these musicians that are out there and they're from groups like Hillsong or Bethel or Elevation or, or anybody else, you know, those churches are all problematic. And if you have any questions on why I believe that, please email me at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. And I'd love to share with you why I believe that. But the anti-intellectual will relish in having loads of this moving music and they'll jump to the, 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 with excitement to the latest forms of entertainment. And again, they're left empty. So often, modern Christians leave their churches feeling, a great, feeling great excitement, yet are left without any solid foundation of knowing what the church stands for and why it stands for certain things. And, and then when you start dealing with, say, like issues of salvation, they have become essentially, well, universalized. And we see this with progressive Christianity. It isn't just so much the New Apostolic Reformation and the prosperity gospel that's a problem. Now we're seeing progressive Christianity coming along, and that's a whole different show. Uh, but nevertheless, issues of salvation do become universalized, particularly on issues of eternity that are compromised, because people will go and they'll say that, well, you know, Jesus isn't the only way. Well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. You know that he believed that he was the only way, and, and he wants us to agree with him. And if you don't agree with Jesus, guess what? you got a problem. And, of course, then we deal with issues concerning humanity and issues with humanity with regards to, say, like the, the abortion issue today. You know, the fact that uh, when does a person become a person and, and what is a human being? And all these things, basically, folks, has been radicalized because many modern Christians fail to love the Lord their God with all their minds. Let's move to number three. Anti-intellectualism harms the church with related to apologetically. Now, what I what do I mean by apologetically? Apologetically was a term that my friend Brian Chilton, who uh, helped us along with this, this is some of his notes here, some of the notes that I've taken alongside of Brian's. And, and Brian tells us that those who know his testimony, and even um, those who know my testimony as being a former skeptic, this is something that both Brian and I share, 
you know, some ministers leave, like Brian did, for seven years or so, and nearly became an agnostic for his perspective. Me, I came from skepticism to Christianity. Now, there are certain things that are out there, like the Jesus Seminar and other movements. And, of course, whenever you ask Christian leaders why it was that they could trust the Bible, they say things like... Well, because it's the Bible, or the Bible says that we should believe the Bible, or you shouldn't ask such questions. And I got those things as well as Brian and several others did as well. It wasn't until I came across the works like Josh McDowell, and then, of course, later on, Brian came across Josh McDowell as well, and Lee Strobel, and Bill Craig, and Gary Habermas, and many others, and guys like us, we began to realize that there were good reasons for why uh, we should believe the Bible. Many of those evidence came from outside of the Bible, things like archaeology and manuscript evidence, etc. Some of those pieces of information, some people have those things and they still don't do anything with it, and they don't take that information, and they just take that information and still walk away. Now, folks, that's a problem because they really don't want an answer at all. But see, anti-intellectualism is killing the church today because we are left with no defense from the attacks arising from secularism, postmodernism, pluralism, and privatization. We need to remember that we need to be ready always to give a reason for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect when somebody asks us. Because, folks, if we don't have answers, how else are we going to be able to stand firm in our faith when everything else, when there's a shift, another tectonic shift ideologically in our culture? And I'll tell you something. If we ever have an administrative change where right now Christians can enjoy religious freedom, But if we ever have an administration change that changes and changes that whole paradigm, where is your faith going to be when it all comes down? To do otherwise, to avoid apologetics, to avoid being able to give a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect is to neglect the love that we have for God with our mind. Let's move to number four. Anti-intellectualism harms the church emotionally. It definitely harms the church emotionally because by this statement, it might sound counterintuitive to the previous. Now, what do we mean by that? You know, often when a case for intellectual Christianity, people will say that emotionalism is invalidated. Now, I don't agree with that. Emotions are definitely important for human beings. God has created us as emotional beings, yet emotions can definitely lead us astray. Anti-intellectualism, such as is found in movements like the Prosperity Gospel and the like, like the New Apostolic Reformation, movements like that are far more and do far more damage than intellectual Christianity. A proper understanding of the justice of God, a discipline known as theodicy, or suffering and the problem of evil, will definitely help the believer in times of great distress and turmoil. Proponents of anti-intellectualism are far less equipped to deal with times of tragedy and those who have, than those who have a solid 
understanding of such topics. In fact, I have actually met pastors who advocated anti-intellectualism, fallen to times of great distress. Their doubt and their stress is at a far greater degree than those who are grounded with an intellectual faith. And an intellectual faith actually does ground the emotions and demonstrates how a person can love God with their heart and their soul and their mind. And folks, let me just speak to a little bit more on this. The fact that we have the pandemic, the COVID virus, and we have a lot of the things that are going on with Antifa and Black Lives Matter and some of these movements and stuff that are trying to gain the voice of our culture today. I want to let you know that those things are causing stress on your pastor. I want to let you know that you, as an apologist, need to be there for your pastor to lift his arms up. If you're an apologist, you know, and you're listening to our show, thank you guys, ladies, for for listening to us. But please take this as a reminder that we need to undergird our pastors as we go through these days. Let's move to number five. Anti-intellectualism harms the church philosophically. What do we mean by this? Philosophy and theology. Philosophy and theology are intertwined to some degree. Now, some people will say that theology is the study of God. It is. But theology is a branch, actually, of philosophy. And theology is actually the queen of the sciences. And that theology is a branch of philosophy. And philosophy, philosophy, simply put, is a discipline comprising at its core, logic, aesthetics, ethics, metaphysics, and epistemology. Logic is about critical thinking. Aesthetics is about what is beautiful and what is lovely. Uh, ethics is about where, where do you frame your worldview on what is right and what is wrong. And metaphysics is the study of what is reality. And epistemology is the study of knowledge. How do we come to know what we know? Now, it is also called, from the perspective of Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the pursuit of wisdom. All those disciplines are mentioned also in the definition of Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. How do we see the world, and how do we see society? What is the meaning of life? These are, these are all questions that everyone must answer. And you and I have answers to those questions in one way or another. But see, different people come to differing conclusions. In a culture where every opinion is held equal, this is called pluralization, where there's a competing number of worldviews and no one worldview is dominant. Uh, the truth is, is not absolute, but relative. So in a culture where everything is like this, where every opinion is held equal value, it is important that the believer understands the concept of truth, understands the concept of logic and value. Otherwise, the believer will be led by everything thrown in their direction in contrast, oppose everything that may have some value. Some oppose philosophy because what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 8, where he says, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition. What they do not do is they do not investigate that passage even closer. Paul is actually not 
dismissing philosophy. He's dismissing the bad philosophy. In addition, Paul's statement on philosophy is a philosophical statement. So when you make a philosophical statement to stay away from philosophy, the Christian who says stay away from philosophy because the Apostle Paul is actually making a philosophical statement and violating what is called the fundamental law of of non-contradiction. One should actually avoid bad philosophy. How does one know good philosophy from bad philosophy? They know bad philosophy because they should know good philosophy. And possessing good philosophy is another way that the church loves God with all its mind. Let's move to number six. Anti-intellectualism harms the church socially. Now, you know, there's a lot of people in churches today. And people come from different social strata in the church, depending on how big your church or how small your church is. You see this in various subsets in the church today. And it seems that many are led more by politics rather than their religious convictions. The opposite should surely be the case. When one allows political parties and nationalistic fervor to dictate their beliefs, one may wealth be found favorable among the populace while being unpopular with God. Anti-intellectual Christians will find themselves more easily swayed by the great influence of politics. And I don't say that qualitatively, I say that quantitatively. The intellectual Christian, one grounded in the fundamentals of the Christian faith, will definitely understand the great value of all lives despite race, nationality, gender. Intellectual faith remembers and realizes the truthfulness of Paul's statement that there is neither no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians 3.28. When, when intellectual faith realizes and actualizes Paul's statement, when one will truly love God with the mind and will be moved to love their neighbor as themselves. So it goes back to the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And folks, let's not forget the words of Jesus in in, uh, John 13, that they shall know you are followers of mine, or they shall know that you're Christians by your love for one for another. Jesus was talking to his disciples on that. And then we have the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, that says, Go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So, you know, the Great Commandment and the the commandment to the disciples and the Great Commission, folks, they all dovetail together. Let me throw in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices unto God, which is just spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed not by the removing of your mind, but be the re- by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, That's how anti-intellectualism harms the church socially. Let's move to number seven. This is a little bit meatier because all of a sudden, you know, you're dealing with the church as far as that. And it kind of dovetails along the lines of what I'm saying as far as loving your neighbor as yourself. And number seven, uh, we're talking about anti-intellectualism harming the church 
evangelistically. Now, when the Apostle Paul, in his letter to Church of Philippi, he was in prison at the time, he says, what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. And he says, I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Now, how would Paul have been able to know how to defend the gospel if he did not know why someone should believe the gospel? Now, let me just say this, and I'll do another show later on what is the gospel and what the gospel is not. But we find the formula for the gospel or the creed of the gospel. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. It says that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and he rose on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared to the twelve, and then to, and he starts going through a whole litany of people. Some, And then he says that he appeared also to 500, some who were alive even to the to this day, which was the time that Paul was penning that letter sometime in the early, late 50s, early 60s AD. So when you deal with this, Paul said that he was set to, he was set into, uh, to defense the gospel if he did not know why one should believe the gospel. Many anti-intellectuals today hold a limited, if not unbiblical view of faith, plain and simple. If I were to ask you what faith was, would you be able to uh, tell me? Anti-intellectuals also consider faith to be acceptance for which there is no evidence that is existing. Or some may view faith as simply an emotional crutch. Faith is not demonstrated in in such a way in the Bible. For instance, consider Jesus' use of miracles. Jesus did not ask for blind faith. Jesus would back up his claims with a demonstration of his power. And he said, I am the light of the world, John 9, 5, and then provided the light of physical sight to the man at the pool of Siloam. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus told Mary and Martha, who were Lazarus' sisters, as well as everyone else there, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. That's John 11, uh, 25. Bold words to say at a man's tomb. That Jesus demonstrated that he was the resurrection and the life by raising Lazarus back to life, and Jesus backed up his claims. Now, it behooves modern Christian to know the evidences for faith. This will provide great strength to one's evangelistic efforts if you know how to defend your faith. Somebody goes and says that you don't need apologetics. Chances are those folks that believe that credo probably haven't shared their faith in a while and really actually had a chance to talk to today's cultured happy pagan. And I say that lovingly. So if you are somebody who is rejecting Christianity, please know that I mean that in love. Uh, because that's where you are. You're happy, you're happy, and you're going and maybe investigating what I might be having to say. Again, let me say thank you for listening. We're uh, going, we may be going over a little over, but maybe we might finish on time. I don't know. But it's very important to know what you believe and know why you believe what you do, whether you are a believer in Jesus Christ or not. I believe it was Socrates that said, the unexamined life is a life not worth living. I'll tell you that an unexamined faith is a faith not worth believing. So know what you believe and why you believe it, and and also know the one in whom you are believing in 
so that you can tell others about the one that you serve. Doing such demonstrates a love for God with all your mind. Let's move to the last one, number eight. Finally and lastly, anti-intellectualism harms the church spiritually. You might be asking, how might that be? Well, anti-intellectualism harms the church spiritually in many ways. But let me just give you a couple of them. It harms one's view of salvation. And some have added or taken away from the gospel message because of an unexamined view of salvation from the Bible. We have in the church today, and I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I'm not the one that makes the determine on who's saved, who's saved and not, but I can tell you that model and modern evangelism efforts really are, in some cases, many cases, creating false professions of faith. And false professions have been made without understanding the submission required for salvation. That is to say, one submission to the Lord Jesus Christ for one's whole life. It's called easy believism. And I don't ever want to be guilty of preaching an easy believism. I think today that many people in, in, in going and dealing with coming to faith and examining Christianity, I don't think it harms the fact that knowing that God is working in their life knows that person and they know where they are in their search for truth that God is going to open up the door to reveal himself, disclose himself, and, and reveal more in that to where they go and they see it and they're brought to the crossroads of a decision. I came to the faith in that sense. I came to faith by looking at evidence. I came to faith by looking at the evidence and following the evidence where it leads. And I think a lot of people today, with the fact that the church is where it is today, culturally speaking, I think that is where a lot of people are today. Let me move to the second one before we wrap our show up today. And that secondly, how it hurts the church spiritually is that it harms one's spiritual walk. Sometimes anti-intellectuals will allow things into the life which should not be present. When confronted, the person will say, I have faith, and that's all that matters. Such a view stems from a bad interpretation of faith. And if a person had studied their Bible, researched passages, and even held a true love of learning for God, folks, then one would be willing to submit their lives totally to God, totally and completely. Perhaps one of the problems of in the integrity of the modern church today stems from the laziness which is so boldly exhibited in the anti-intellectual movement today. Such can be protected, at least to some degree, by loving God with all their mind. You know, the great commandment says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And I just mentioned that Socrates had gone and said that the unexamined life is a life not worth living. I believe Socrates was right, you know, but at the same time, an unexamined faith is a faith not worth believing. Biblical faith is enmeshed with reason. 
We should know why we believe what we believe, what we believe, why we believe in God, and why we believe in Jesus Christ. If one simply accepts Christ based on their family or their friends' uh, testimonies, I don't. I would have to ask the question: Is their faith truly legitimate? The Christian should not be afraid of loving God with the mind. One does not need to leave their brain at the door of faith. In fact, reason and faith are definitely complementary because you and I serve a real God who provides a real trust and anti-intellectualism is harmful for the church. It is a trend that must be reversed and Charles Bug puts it best this way. There is no excuse for preaching that requires people to leave their head outside the church. In the Great Commandment, Jesus taught his disciples to love God with all their mind, heart, and soul. Some preachers make their living by attacking education or by riding the horse of anti-intellectualism. The result is a kind of demagoguery that creates unwarranted suspicion toward education. Ministers need to use their minds that God has given them and to love God with all that mind. Likewise, they need to call their listeners to love God with all their minds. He wrote that in 1992, and nothing has really changed. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for listening. Next week, we're going to deal with this whole thing as it follows the trail of anti-intellectualism. We're going to deal with this whole thing known as moralistic therapeutic deism. You know, we're, we're dealing with these movements because they're in the church. And I can guarantee you, as I shared with my pastor today, I told Pastor John that many people in the church today do not hold to a biblical worldview. A lot of it is because of the anti-intellectualism that is being promoted in the church, the, the taking the cracks at education. And, and, and folks, that's dangerous particularly in the direction that our culture is heading today. So as you go out this week, please, please dig into the Word of God. Dig into your Bibles. Don't just read it, but study it. Look at the words. Look at the background of the text. Look at the background of the letter, the book, the gospel, the historical narrative, the, the, the poetry of Psalms and Proverbs, the wisdom literature of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and, and so on and so forth. But folks, we need to start loving God, not just with our heart and soul. We need to love God with our mind as well. Invite the mind back into fellowship. Again, you've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. As you go out this week, that's my word of encouragement to you. And as you go out and you engage the culture, as you go out and engage the person, if you have the conversation at the coffee, the coffee shop, or if you have the conversation at the water fountain or in the lunchroom where you work with all the social distancing going on, ask this question this week. You know, with everything going on, are you afraid of dying? And if there's a heaven, what does it take to get there? And just let them talk. If you would like to ask a question or make a comment about what you've heard today, please email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. That's realissueapologetics, all one word, at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and as you go out this week, 
please go out, be his ambassador, but more importantly, be ready to go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless.